Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. We're doing a series on worship because for the longest time, honestly, I have wanted to do a series on worship and the songs we sing in church. But last week I had to build a a foundation for us to let us know worship is not just a time in the service. Worship is not just a place you go to. Worship is what you were actually created to do. Why? Because you're made in the very image of God. And therefore, you can't not worship. You can't not pour out because of the image you are created in. And I talked ab- uh, about how it's not if you worship, but who or what you will worship. Because your, your, you, like, your, life, is, like, your life is worship. It will show who and what you value, who and what you adore, and who and what you consider as sacred. And so setting up today, though, I do want to dive into and get a little bit more focused on the actual time of worship we have weekly as the church gathers together on, on, on a Sunday morning and, and really focus. I feel like last week I was trying to get you to see the bigness and the holistic nature of worship. And today I want to then get zeroed focus in on the 20 to 25 minutes we spend each week in worship. Because it's crazy how within Christian culture, like there, there's a Christian culture of worship. You know, and all of us have different preferences. Like I know some people, your preference, like y'all wish we would go longer in worship. Some of y'all are like, we just had to take the whole service. Just worship. Some of y'all are like, I don't like it at all. I wish we did nothing. I wish we did none of that. Like some of y'all love the kind of style we have. Some of y'all don't like the style we have. Some of y'all wish we had more gospel. Some of y'all wish we had more contemporary Christian. Some of y'all wish we sang Stephen Curtis. <laughs> some of y'all wish we would have sang some Keith Green. Some of y'all, it's like we all have different preferences when it comes to what we would like to see done in the 20 to 25 minutes that we come together to worship each week. And though we have different preferences, my heart for us today is that we would have a common vision of what worship is at Lifehouse and what we're coming to do on a weekly basis when we come into this theater. John Piper has a great quote. He says this here. He says, worship is what you're created for. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of what we talked about last week. And it says, this is the final end of all existence, the worship of God. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory, and he created us so that we would see his glory and reflect it by knowing and loving it with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then he, he says this, the church needs to build a common vision of what worship is and what she is gathering to do on Sunday morning and scattering to do on Monday morning. Last week, I feel like was The Monday morning is that when you leave this place, you aren't just leaving and stopping worship. You're leaving, continuing to worship. We come here to worship in a corporate sense, and then you leave to go and worship in a scattered sense. So we scatter in worship, and we corporately gather in worship. So today I want to talk about this corporate time of worship that we have weekly. And in spite of our preferences, my prayer today is that we cultivate a common vision. Louis Giglio, pastor, 
Louis Giglio says this. He says, worship is our response. Everyone say response. Both personal and corporate to God for who he is and what he has done expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. And the key word that I really want to focus on is this word response. Because honestly, at the core of worship, it's a response. It's like you responding to who or what you are viewing as being worthy. It is a response. We can even see this. Last week I talked about Romans 12 and about how one of the things that, you know, the Paul, as he's writing this book, it's kind of the climax of the book. The first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is laying out the beauty of the gospel, the depth and breadth and beauty of the gospel, that you are far from God, but you've been brought near, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus done. We have been given, uh, we have been given grace, we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been engrafted into God's plan to where we can now be in relationship with him. And then in Romans 12, it says, therefore, essentially saying in light of everything you've just heard, right, really when you see that word within the Bible, therefore, the question you ask is what is the therefore, therefore? Because what it's essentially saying is like, in light of what you've just read, do this. In light of what you've just read, respond. So Paul is like, therefore, I urge you. So he's like, I plead with you. I exhort you, brothers and sisters, in view, in light of God's mercy that I've just talked about the first 11 chapters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that sacrifice terminology is worship language. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So worship at its core, it's, it's, res- it's a response. And what I love in Louis's def- in Louis's definition, he says that The response we should have in worship in a corporate setting is built on who God is. Everyone say is. And what God has done. I want to talk to you quickly about these two points because we have got to have a base of response. So you are going to walk in here and worship in response to something. And unfortunately, what I've seen in the church is typically our response in worship is tied less to who God is and what God has done and tied to how does it sound. And tied to, did they sing my song? And tied to, how does it make me feel? And tied to, did it give me the Holy Spirit goosebumps? So we, so what we essentially do is we take this time and instead of basing it on the character of God, who God is, and what God has done. And I'm not talking about done for you lately. Because typically sometimes our worship is done to solely based on what has God done for me lately. Instead of saying, how has, what has God done over the past couple thousand years that's kind of decent? We can base our worship solely on what has he done for me lately. And I, I believe if we base our response in worship solely on how does this make me feel, do I like the song? Does it sound good? Now, here's, now, here's, here, now let me say this, though. That doesn't mean we don't try to make worship sound good. Praise God. Because I don't know about you. I've been in some worship services. You're trying to get your worship on. And there's someone that can't sing. And you like Jesus. Who let the person on this team? Right? And it can, you know, yes, God, Bob says, make a joyful noise. 
joyful noise doesn't mean a good noise, right? <laughs> you know, everyone should make a joyful noise unto the Lord, but that doesn't all mean all joyful noises are going to sound good. So that does not mean we don't have a standard to ensure people are operating in their giftings. However, that does not mean if something doesn't sound exactly the way we want it to, we restrict our worship. It doesn't mean we say, well, I'm not going to pour myself out to the creator, to the, uh, to, you know, to the gracious God, the loving God, the forgiving God, the omnipresent, omnipotent, like, um, you know what, I'm going to hold that back because of how this person's singing. But unfortunately, in our culture, we've based our response in worship on how does it make me feel? Does it move me? Instead of doing what this song said, how can I move your heart? And, and really, I believe that's, that like we're driven by what our preferences are instead of the baseline truth of who God is and what God has done. Who you believe God is is so important. I love what Tozer says, A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the holy. He says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. In other words, who you believe God is. So I often wonder, is our lack of worship or lack of being focused and attentive based on the fact that we have a wrong definition or a, or, or a skewed definition of who God really is? Let me, let me give you just a flyover version, a skimmed over version, because I think we need to let God speak for himself. Because I think we like to create a God that, that we want him to be instead of letting him speak for who he is. Let me give you a couple definitions of just what scripture itself says who God is. Jehovah, Jehovah, I don't know if I can pronounce that, Mekadesh, I'm a stuttering guy, so it's just like, yo, it could come out, it couldn't, we'll just, you know, we'll roll the dice and see what, and see what, and see what happens. Infinite, omnipotent, creator, good, love, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Jehovah Shalom, our peace, immutable, transcendent, just, holy, Jehovah, uh, Jehovah Rapha, Self-sufficient, omniscient, omnipresent, merciful, sovereign, Jehovah Nisi, wise, faithful, gracious, comforter, El Shaddai, Father, the church's head, our intercessor, Adonai, Elohim. Can, can, this is a flyover version of who God declares himself to, to be. And, my, and, my, and really, my question is not just to you, but to myself. Do I come in saying my worship is going to be based on who he is? Or is it going to be based on who I want him to be? Or is it going to be based on how I f feel? But it's not just who he is. It's worship based on what he has done. And, you know, l l and like I said, I think many of us come in like, God, what have you done lately? So, like, when we get a job promotion, I just want to move your, you know. Or, God, you answered my prayer. I just want, you know. And, and it's like we, our, our worship, our response is based on what have you done for me lately instead of saying, like, we need to view this God in light of thousands of years. And I'm not worshiping him for what he's done for me lately. I'm worshiping him for what he has done in history. And if scripture itself displays he was the 
creator, the covenant-keeping God, the God who, red- who redeems, the God who came in physical form and lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you should have died in your place and for your sin, but rose and defeated Satan's sin and death, and the good news is available for us to be in right standing with God. As we think in light of not just what he's done for me lately, but in what he's done, worship should explode out of us. But honestly, I believe this, man. We should worship God for things we have no clue he has done. Man, because honestly, I believe if we went down to the depths of what God has really done for us, and dude, how many things do we take for granted that are just constant? Like, honestly, man, like sometimes I got to stop doing stuff for my kids because they got to know life just aren't paid by themselves. Chick-fil-A doesn't just appear out of thin air. Reese cups don't just appear. They are purchased with someone's money that had to work. And it is a privilege, but not a right. And I believe that we have taken so many things that we think are rights that are actually privileges. The air we breathe. I mean, and that's just one thing. And I don't even know what, like some of y'all probably shouldn't even be here today. Y'all should be dead. But the Lord preserved you. He kept you. He watched over you. And you didn't even know it. Are y'all catching what I'm throwing down t- today? Our worship is, res- is a response based out of who he is and what he's done, not what he's done for me lately. There's a, there was a story in scripture about a woman that had this encounter with Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus said about this encounter with this woman, he said, what, wherever the gospel is preached, the story of the encounter we had will be taught as well. So the Bible has four Gospels in it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And basically, Gospels is, is simply means good news, and it's basically four perspectives of Jesus' life. So think about if you had four different eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are those, uh, are those accounts of Jesus' life spoken from different perspectives. And the thing is, there are some stories in those Gospels that are chronologically different, shown in different places, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, because they had different perspectives, they had different people that they were writing to, their books were trying to hit different points. That's why you see Mark's gospel, that they say was actually Peter's account written down by, written down by Mark. Like, they didn't even hit Jesus' birth. Peter's like, who cares about him being born? Y'all need to know what Jesus did and his power. So the book just goes into the power of Jesus and who he was. The book of Luke. Luke was a historian. He went and talked to hundreds of witnesses of Jesus' life and wanted to put together an orderly account of Jesus' life. He was a trained historian that went out and said, hey, I need to compile from eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and put them in good chronological order. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are eyewitness accounts. And there's this story of, this Jesus, of Jesus' encounter with this woman is mentioned in three of these four Gospels. And one of the things, like I said, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus said this encounter with this woman will be spoken about wherever the gospels preach. And it's crazy that today we're going to be speaking about that very encounter. The gospel's here, and we're going to talk about her story. That I believe, from my perspective, encapsulates what I pray when we're talking about a common vision of worshiping God for who he is and what he's, he's done. I believe that this is encapsulated in this woman's story that we're going to actually read together in Luke chapter 7. So here's the thing, right? When I read portions of scripture, I get nervous because I hope you don't go for your phone and start scrolling. 
Because I know sometimes when you read a portion of scripture uh, that's 11 verses long, my fear is, oh, they're going to disengage. The word of God's boring. You know, it's like, <laughs> and here's the thing, right? My prayer is that you would stay engaged, you would stay encouraged, that you would stick with, with me here as we dive into God's word, Luke chapter 7, reading about, this, uh, reading about Jesus' encounter with this sinful woman. This is what it says here. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Let's just pause right here. I love how Jesus is a non-discriminatory eater. Like Jesus, like, yo, you want to grab food? Let's, let's go. You know, like, this is a Pharisee. I mean, Jesus had some of his biggest battles with Pharisees. Like, Jesus was always arguing with Pharisees, but one of them's like, hey, bro, you want to get some chicken wings? Yeah, man, let's go. You know, like, he, he does not discriminate. Jesus is like, food, I'm down. Food, I'm there. I've got the spirit of Jesus. Anyone else got the spirit of Jesus? If there's a meal, I'm there. So he says, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman, now, this version of the Bible is being very kind. A certain immoral woman. So actually, different versions say a notorious, a certain notorious sinner. So this was someone that had a reputation for all the wrong reasons. That was known around town for being notoriously sinful. Right? It says, when a certain, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, worshiping, or excuse me, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Pause right there. So you've you've got this Pharisee who had this view of himself as being better than. He saw this woman. He's like, man, Jesus, you know, you can't even touch the Holy One. She is a sinner. Then it says this here. Then, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Don't you love how Jesus can read our thoughts? You just imagine this, this dude was thinking this, like, hmm. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to how many people? Two. But there was only one person in the story. We'll get to that in a sec. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So they were both broke. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I, I, you know, I, I suppose the one for whom they canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears, and I wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing me on, on my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, <laughs> I love how Jesus, and they are many. <laughs> he doesn't hold back. He's like, and her sins, and they are many, uh, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little 
only shows little love. I'm gonna give you three thoughts here about how this applies to corporate worship. First off, we can see in this story, Jesus leveled the playing field. Don't you love how Jesus told a story about two people? And he said one had a bigger debt and one had a smaller debt. Bottom line is they were both in debt, they couldn't pay it. And what Jesus was doing here is he was saying, Pharisee, it's not just her that's broke and in deep need, you're broke and in deep need. Why? Because it was two different ways to miss the mark. Jesus was saying you can miss worship in two different ways, with your rebellion and your religion. The Pharisees had this high view of themselves where they found themselves as being like, we don't touch sinners, we don't get near them. If they touch us, they desecrate us and we're gods and we don't want to get near them. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, there's no difference between you religious Pharisee and a notorious sinner in the city. Y'all are both in debt with a debt that cannot be paid. And it's two different ways to miss the mark, to miss the kingdom of God, and to miss worship. He even shows it. He says, when I walked in, you didn't even give me a hug, bruh. When she walked in, she couldn't stop hugging my feet. Why? Because the Pharisees had such a high view of themselves. They couldn't humble themselves. And when I'm thinking about the culture and vibe and vision of worship, it's, you know, because let's just be candid. Like, some of y'all are more prone to rebellion and some of you are more prone to religion some of you come in here to check a box and say did my good deed and I'm not calling it I'm saying that in love some uh, of y'all are here today and you want nothing to do with God you're just here to please somebody and the thing is this right once, once we acknowledge that, once, once we stop running from that and we see it, it's, it's just like it doesn't matter where you are, we all have a debt to be paid. Whether, you're, whether you have a proclivity towards religion or a proclivity towards rebellion. And that's why Jesus is saying here, know that no matter where you're at, we cannot sit in worship and come into this place and think of ourselves as better than someone else. Or think, well, because I do this, I'm better than. No, Jesus was saying we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And it is only by having our debt being paid that we can then come and have our sins forgiven. When I think of the heart, then the common vision of worship here, what if we came in with a spirit-filled humility? Of saying we are just come, we're not trying to think of ourselves better than, we're not trying to run from you, God. We are coming here of saying, Lord, we, we realize that you have paid a debt that we couldn't pay. You have done something that we could not do. What kind of spirit would we have in that? Secondly, though, not only did Jesus level the playing field, what you see from this woman is a physical response based on an inward gratefulness. She brought something that cost her. Scholars say that something like this would be equal to like one year's wages. Like this perfume that she came and brought, equal to like one year's wages. So I'm not sure what your salary is, but just imagine your salary cooped up in a perfume bottle. And I guess only Jeff Bezos could buy something like that, right? But like cooped up in that, 
and she went and broke it on him and, and essentially spread it out and, and was like, I, I know who I am and what I have done, and I'm bringing something that cost me. But there was a physical expression to an inward gratefulness. And when I think about physical expressions in worship, we can all get really funny, right? Because you got some people, they do aerobics for Jesus, right? You got some people that are more like outward. You got some people that, that kind of are more quiet. They're kind of more to themselves. They're kind of more like, you know, worship is a mind thing. It's a heart thing. And, why I, and while I agree with that, I think we've got to be careful in church not to judge somebody else's worship based on the physical response. Because some, some people, when, when they see someone like really happy and going crazy, they're like, well, you know, wonder what happened to them. When you, you don't know their story, you have no clue. And I guarantee you there were people here watching this woman break the things, be like, oh, my God, she's, I can't believe she's doing this. What a weirdo. Like a woman breaking in on rabbis together having dinner and having food was a cultural no-no. And then Jesus giving value to the woman. Jesus saying you are equal to a Pharisee man was breathtakingly against the culture. But Jesus gave her value. But the physical response was one of, I'm here. And here's the thing, right? In church, we've got to be careful not to judge somebody else's physical worship because we don't know what their story is or what they've been through or what has happened to them. And if they're being physically expressive, that could be them expressing to God what this woman was expressing to Jesus. Gratefulness and thankfulness. On the other side, I think sometimes we have to make sure that we are not just being expressively or expressive in worship because we want God to like us better. Or we think because we're being expressive, we're being better than somebody. Or because we're being expressive, God will then, you know, kind of like you've got a bunch of people sitting in this crowd, a bunch of them are like raising hands, and ooh, look at this one right here. He's worshiping better. You've got to make sure your heart is right. Because I think sometimes we, people can have, physical, can have a physical expression of worship with the wrong heart. They just want to be seen, noticed, and the center of attention. So that is why no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, it could be, well, yes, don't judge somebody else's worship, but at the same time, make sure you're judging yours. Instead of, the, instead of what it takes to judge somebody else's, make sure you judge your worship. Is it pure? Is it redemptive? Is it coming from a place of authenticity and realness and based on who God is and what God has done? But also, too, I think, a physical expression is so important. And, I, and just to kind of pick on the fellas really quick, I think fellas can sometimes have this, and I'm not typecasting every single fella, and, but at the same time, ladies, some of you might fit into this description as well, where you can say, I don't get physically responsive in worship because that's not who I am. Okay? I understand some of you are more introverted, you're, you're, you're kind of more quiet, you're kind of more to yourself. But it's, it, it's wild to me. I would examine your life and see what areas or places or context are you physically ex expressive and why are you physically expressive there. 
Because even some fellas, right, they'll come into church and be stiff as a statue. And they will, you know, but I just, you know, I, I, I'm just not expressive. When you go back to a day before at the Alabama game, the college football game, the pool game, the pool, uh, you know, the, uh, the pool game or the tennis game or the baseball game or the basketball game, whatever game, their team won, their team lost, their team whatever, there's a physical expression coming out based on a response that they did not like or they did like. So it's not that you aren't emotional. You are emotional. It's not if you are emotional, you are. So what I would say to those who are saying, that's just not me, ensure you aren't shutting the door on God and locking the door and in the name of saying this is who I am, you're actually keeping the Lord from having influence on your emotions. Because honestly, y'all, I've been with the gamut in worship. When I first got saved, I was that guy like, see me, Jesus. Up at the altar, jumping like it's a war rally. Then I kind of got to this spot, man, where during, even during worship, even the fast stuff and the soft stuff, I I, I would just want to sit and put my face in my hands. And it wasn't because I wasn't worshiping. It was because... I was so overwhelmed thinking about the words that I was singing. Y'all, worship is not just to make us feel something. Worship is to make you think. Worship is to shape the way you think about God. You think about even songs are sung to help you learn principles of learning. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That is done to help you remember. These songs are not just to give you a feeling. These psalms are meant to shape the way you think and what you believe about God. They are here. So so when you learn the words, you're actually learning theology. You're learning language. You're putting language to who this God is and what this God is like. And it is so much more than just having a feeling in a time like this. It is a time to shape and form you. And I don't, this is not judging, but honestly, many of you, the only times you actually have input into your relationship with God is on Sunday mornings. And it's done through the worship of God and the word of God. The two main avenues, the two main tools that are shaping you and forming you to know this God and shape and form who you are. So worship is not just a time for us to come together and feel something. Worship is a time for us to come together and learn. That's why I encourage you, engage with these songs outside of a normal worship service. If you go to that actual thing down there in the corner, it will actually take you to a playlist of songs that we corporately sing. I would encourage you, put that on your playlist for one week, writing to and from work, and tell me if it does not change your spirit and your outlook in your day. Worship has the power to shape and transform us and to, and to help us not just feel something from God, but actually know who God is. And it helps us. And here's the thing. Right? When we're talking about a physical expression, I've gotten to this point where I'm not going to judge some, somebody else. I don't want somebody else judge, judging me. But I'm consistently judging myself to say, am I coming into this service today judging God or worshiping God based on what he's done for me lately? Or am I worshiping him based on who he is and what he's done for me from eternity's past? 
right? And here's the thing. Stop judging someone else and use that thing to judge you and get into your own heart and see if your, if your worship is authentic, real, true, and God-honoring. Is this good preaching today? You guys are quiet, so I hope you're getting something out of it. I don't know. But also, too, I think what we see, what this woman did is there was a cost to what she gave. And I, and I think it's so important. We, we kind of got to engage and make sure that we are not following or trying to walk in just a convenient Christianity instead of a costly Christianity. And I want to speak to that for just a couple minutes here because if we're not if we're candid the culture is trying to shape us into convenience everything's efficient everything's quick everything's how can i put in the least amount of whatever input and get the most out of it roi what's the investment do i get axed you know it's and and unfortunately what that does is if we take that same mentality that, that the culture is trying to push and put it into following jesus and christianity I believe we get then into basically a Christianity that's built totally on convenience than one that is built on there's going to be a cost. And that can be in many different ways, even when it comes to corporately worshiping. I know for many of you, coming here and gathering, it is a cost for you because you work 60 hours a week. And you would probably, in your flesh, much rather be brunching right now. You would much rather be brunching right now. You would much rather be a first watch getting your lemon pancakes. You would much rather be getting your mimosa. <laughs> Just, okay, calm down, everybody. <laughs> calm down. Or you would much rather be, I'm hungry, so I got to recover. Thinking about first watching. What, what, what is that thing that, the, the, say, what's that thing called that I really like? The Chickachanga, my God. The Chickachanga. What was I talking about? I was talking about cost. <laughs> I'm for real so hungry. But see, see, here's the here's here's the here's the thing, right? Like we we can get so focused on like but like I, I know this is a cost for some of you. But and I mean, y'all, this is a small price, I mean, in comparison. Because honestly, y'all, if we are trained by convenience. When there, and I'm telling you we're heading there, when there is a cost of following Jesus, because there will be coming up, that we are heading there, we're going there, where being a Christian isn't going to be cool, it's not going to be sexy, it's not going to be, oh, you're a Christian, great. It's going to be, you're a Christian, really? And if you train yourself on convenience, when there comes a cost to pay, you'll struggle to pay it. And that is why the heart is here, it's, it's just like, y'all, like, let's not get into a, convenience-oriented Christianity where we just say, how does it make it easy for me instead of saying, you know, you know what, this, this should cost me something. It's crazy. Even God's people in the Old Testament, they had a sacrificial system, and when they were drifting from God, one of the practices they would do is actually found in the book of Malachi 1.8. This is what it says. It says, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? Like, dude, you're giving me an eyeless sheep. Ain't got no eyes. You can't even see. Like when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? And really the heart here is, is, is just like God asked them to, to like bring their best. Like why? Because it's the first fruits. It's, it's, he's first. And the way you show him he's first is by giving him your best, by costing something. But they were trying to do what? <laughs> well, it was convenient. 
hey, yo, we got any eyeless sheep? <laughs> we got anything that is maimed or, you know, <laughs> sacrifice that. And, but, it, but that was a small way of saying where their heart was. It was a physical expression of where their heart had drifted. And that's why I'm saying examine. Is it costing you anything to be a Christian? Is there anything about your life that if somebody would see it, they'd be like, yeah, man, wow. In your time, in your budget, in your schedule, in the pace and rhythm of your life, would anybody be able to say, man, dude, they, yeah, Jesus is real to them. And I'm not saying this condemningly. I'm saying this because there will be a time when you, there will be a cost to pay. And if you're trained and you're disciplined or you're trained by convenience, we even see in Jesus' ministry, people saw Jesus, saw him do miracles. He got fed in the 5,000, and people turned when there was a cost. And I'm saying this with a pastoral heart of y'all, don't base your following Jesus on convenience. Understand up front there's a cost, and be ready, because he paid the ultimate debt that was a huge cost that you could not pay. So don't be surprised if in response there will be a cost for you to pay as well. But the cost is pales in comparison to the reward of being with him for eternity. All right, lastly, keyboard player, please, please come up so, so I can end. Lastly, what we see here in corporate worship is, is, her, is her response, right? So she, you know, Jesus, he leveled the playing field. He said, look, man, we, we all have a debt, right, that we got to pay. Everyone pays it, right? Then, then you have... You know, there, there, there was a physical expression. When I think about the common vision of worship at Lifehouse, we wouldn't come in here haughty and puffed up and saying, I'm better than, but we would realize we're all equal before the cross. There'd be a physical expression that we would not judge others, but judge ourselves and say, am I giving God my best worship? But then third, we see her response, her worship was based on, here's the thing, her being forgiven of sin. Like, what evoked such passion and what evoked such sacrifice wasn't what, what was her being forgiven of sin. That's why for thousands of years, the church, the corporate gatherings of the church have been centered on what? Communion. The bread and the juice. The body and the blood. Why? Because they want to make sure we don't have this, this, this idea that we graduate from the gospel. The gospel simply means good news of what God has what? Done. Not what the good news of what he's going to do, which one day he's going to come back. But the gospel is the good news of what God, of, of, of what Jesus has done. And what has he done? He lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you should have died on the cross, in your place for his sin, rose and defeated Satan, sin and death, and he's coming again one day. And that's why for thousands of years, the church has centered, based. You know, when you know when you have a centerpiece at a table, like the centerpiece is like, okay, this is what's, in, this is what's there. And for thousands of years, the church has had the centerpiece of the bread and the juice. Why? To remind the church, the last thing you do before you leave, don't forget you've been forgiven. Don't forget you've been forgiven. Before you walk out, he was broken so you could be made whole. His blood was shed so yours wouldn't be. His blood was shed so you could be in right relationship with him. Right standing. That's what righteousness is. It's right standing with God. 
Her response was based on her being forgiven. What if we had a church that doesn't, see, here's the thing. I know we all walk in with craziness. Like, I know we all walk in. Sometimes I walk in, my wife and I, we just have disagreement, and I got to get up here and preach. Or something happened during the week, my mind's full, my mind's heavy, my heart's heavy. Someone I love is suffering or I got decisions that I got to make. Like, I even know once I'm done with this, I got to go out and I got to face the week, decisions and choices, all of these things. that I know, what I'm telling you is not come in here and stuff it. I'm not telling you to come in here and just deflect it and act like it's not real and act like it's not there and just pretend like, you know, la, 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 like it's, it's not there. But, the, but what I am saying is that even with that, you walk in, there would be a conscientious decision to say, I'm not worshiping based on this, how I sound, how they sound, did they sing my song? Did it sound good? All of these things that we've made worship about, we would come in and say, I'm going to worship you based on the choice for who you are. You're sovereign. You're holy. You're righteous. You're just. You're wise. You're loving. You're kind. You're compassionate. You're not normal. You are beyond me. And I'm going to worship you not for just what you've done for me lately but for what you've done for me in the past and what you're going to do for me in the present. And we worship in light of that, that we have been forgiven. What if we had a culture of worship like that in our church? That we show up early, my God. Feel bad for the worship team because sometimes the first song feels like a practice song. There's like four people here. But we show up ready and, and we show up like with this expectation that we get to encounter the living God, the creator, and worship him for who he is and what he's done. Y'all, I believe my heartbeat in worship is that as we worship, we would see people healed. We would see depression lifted. We would see anxiety healed. That we would see anger let go of. That unforgiveness would be shed. That perspective would be given as we get the eyes off of us and get it onto him. Do you hear my heart today? What if we had this common vision of worship in our church? Y'all, I, I believe it would transform our gatherings. Would you stand with me? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.